scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 13. We found in your pew Bible on page 18. As you're turning there, let me offer a prayer that the Lord would bless us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would enlighten us by your Spirit, pour out your Spirit upon us to work in us, that we may see Jesus in this passage of your word, and that Jesus may work in us as well. To Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Genesis 13, hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are, and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am given it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar the Lord. As far as the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Inheritance. Inheritance. What do you think of when you hear that word inheritance? One thing that I think of is that very recently my grandpa built a table for my mom and dad out of old barn wood. The table is probably like a thousand pounds, very heavy, really nice, fits a big family table. It, you can have a big old Sabbath feast at this bad boy. It's an heirloom kind of table. It's a kind of table that's going to be passed down from you know, generation to generation. And so my brother and my sister and I are going to have to start fighting about it now. What was precious 
and valuable and unique has now been passed on and trusted to a, a new caretaker. And maybe it doesn't have any value in money, but to you and to your family, it's priceless. It's something that means a lot. To, re, to receive something that was precious to someone else and to be entrusted with it, it's exciting, it's humbling. And even when you have to wait for a long time, when it seems like you have to wait forever, you know that you'll eventually receive the inheritance and the wait will have been entirely worth it. Well, to the Israelites, the idea, the word inheritance, would have brought to mind the land of promise, the land of Canaan. This promise was given to their forefather, Abraham, as we read this morning. But this promise of the land, it was a type, it was a symbol of the true inheritance that would come to the true Israel by faith in Christ. And they were supposed to see that and know that. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Abraham did see that, did know that. The inheritance of the land was meant to point to the inheritance of eternal life on the world, the renewed world, heaven and earth. The inheritance of forever fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the inheritance that is being set before us in our passage today and that we are being called to choose, to desire, above all else in this world that looks shiny and sparkly and appealing to the eye. That's why our theme this morning is our inheritance in Christ is to be desired above all worldly possessions. Our inheritance in Christ is to be desired above all worldly possessions. We have three points this morning. The first is returning to the Lord. Covers verses 1 through 4 of our passage. The second is trusting in the unseen. That's verses 5 through 13. And the third is responding in worship, verses 14 through 18. So let's look at that first point, returning to the Lord. Now, if you remember, in Genesis chapter 12, we saw a very different kind of Abraham. We, fall, we, we, we found an Abram who was not living by faith, but living by sight. Not walking in accordance with the Spirit, but walking in accordance with the flesh. Abraham's faith was just praised because he had walked away from his family his worldly inheritance. He had walked away from everything that he knew in the land that he grew up in, his child at home. And he had gone to a place that God said he was going to bring him to, but he didn't know where that place was. And God has come to him and God has given him a promise. I will, I will, I will. I will make you a great nation. I will bless. I will curse. So far, so on and so forth. But here's Abraham with a barren wife, stuck in a land surrounded by enemies, and there's a famine. And so what's Abraham do? He does not go to the Lord seeking what it is that he should do. Should he trust in the Lord? Lord, should you, do you desire that I stay here in Canaan? Will you provide for me? He says, I know what we're going to do. We're going to go to Egypt. And then he looks at his wife and he says, listen, I want you to lie for me. And all kinds of bad things happen. Nonetheless, God still blesses Abraham, curses those 
who dishonor him. And he leaves Egypt with gold, silver, livestock. But what do we see here in the first four verses of our passage? We see in Abraham who we can see has learned a lesson. Pharaoh looked at him and said, why did you lie to me? Now get out of here. And that humbled Abraham because he saw even in his sin, even in his desire to tell his wife to lie for his own self-preservation, even in his breaking of the marriage covenant of the two becoming one, God protected him. God preserved him. God blessed him. Abraham deserved judgment. He deserved Pharaoh to say, off with his head, or you're my slave now, or any number of those kinds of responses. But what did he get? He got mercy. Now, some people would say, that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of mercy. Oh, if we can sin and nothing bad will happen to us, won't that just embolden us to keep sinning more and more and more? But the person who has true faith understands that the patience of God is meant to lead us to repentance. The the person who has true faith understands that when God shows you mercy, even though you should receive Judgment, even though you should receive wrath, it's a, it's a sanctifying moment. It's a humbling moment. It's a moment when you come face to face with what you were capable of doing in the flesh, and you say, I want none of that. I desire more and more now to live in accordance with the Spirit. So Abraham returns to the Lord. Leaving Egypt, he comes back to the promised land. He went to the Negev first, but then following that, he went from, the place, from place to place until he came to Bethel, the house of God, to the place where he had been before, where he had built an altar. And we read there again that Abram called in the name of the Lord. He's returning back to the Lord. He's turning away from his sin in repentance And he is coming in the direction of the Lord. He's coming back to the Lord. And he's renewing his commitment to the Lord. He's he's returning to the Lord, seeking to be built up by him, strengthened in his faith by the Lord, seeking the presence of the Lord. So in a very real sense, we could say that in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham turned his back on the Lord, was not acknowledging the presence of the Lord, was doing things that he hoped the Lord wasn't seeing. Don't you think that's interesting how when we're sinning, we're just hoping that the Lord isn't seeing what we're doing? We, have, we play this mental trick like that God isn't watching us, that we're always, uh, we could do something in the dark, hiding it from God who sees everything, right? But in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham is turning back to the Lord. He's facing him again. He's saying, Lord, I desire to live quorum Deo before your face. 
And that should be an encouragement to all of us. Because even if our great forefather of the faith, father of the faith, Abraham, can stumble, can turn his back on the Lord, could sin in such a great way as if to give his wife over to men that she does not belong to for his own protection, his own self-preservation. Yet, in the grace and mercy of God, turn back to the Lord. Recommit himself to the Lord and desire, Lord, that you would forgive me for that moment of living in the, by the flesh and that you would help me to live accordance, in accordance with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. We can do that too. There's never a moment when you are facing away from the Lord, that he is not near to you and ready to have you turn and and back to him and return to him and desire, Lord, that you would forgive me for that wrongdoing and that you would renew me and help me, Lord, to live faithfully in accordance with the spirit that is at work within me. Help me, Lord. God is always ready to do that. And may we be like Abram, who even in his sin realized what he was doing, the direction and the path that he was going in, and by the grace and mercy of God, turned back to the promised land, came to the presence, the house of God, and he called on the name of the Lord. But what about trusting in the unseen? We learn that Lot is still traveling with him. We didn't hear much about Lot in Egypt. We can assume that Lot had come with Abraham to Egypt. And uh, what's happening is is, uh, a difficult situation because of a good thing, right? And that happens. It's sort of like people who say, oh man, wouldn't it be great to be rich? But then they don't realize that all that money and all that wealth comes problems and troubles to come along with those, that money and that wealth and that responsibility. And that's what happens here between Abram and Lot. Abram, we're told, was blessed with livestock, silver, gold. And we're told Lot also has flocks, herds, and tents. But where they are, the land cannot support them while they stay together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And fighting had arisen between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot. And we're also told that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So what you need to understand about uh, this nomadic people, Abraham and Lot, is that they had to go wherever the land could provide for them. They had to go where there was uh, uh, grass to feed on for the the cattle and the livestock. And so they would be moving around. And they also had to do this uh, while negotiating with those people who lived in the land, whom the land belonged to. Can we have feeding rights here? Can we have grazing rights here? And so Abraham and Lot together, they're seen as more of a threat by these enemies who live in the land, who this land belongs to. And Abraham and Lot together, they require um, more land to be able to provide for all their livestock combined. So it's causing tensions. 
Abraham's herdsmen are saying, no, this is our grass. You go over there and get that grass. And they're fighting with each other. And this is where we see how Abram responds to this situation. Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine. For we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abram, in this moment, could have handled this differently. He was the elder. Lot was like his son that he had adopted. Abram could have said, hey, listen, I've got seniority here, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to go over there. And you're going to take that scraggly part of land that has not barely any grass. And I'm going to take the good portion, okay? Plus, I'm the one that God has called and God has blessed me. And God has said that he will bless whoever uh, I bless. He will bless me. And then also God said he'll curse whoever dishonors me. So Lot, you better watch it. You better not curse me. You better not make this difficult for me. Because if you do, life's not going to be easy for you. I mean, look what happened to Pharaoh. Okay, you remember that, right? That's what Abram could have done. He could have asserted his position. He could have asserted his authority. Instead, what he does, in humility, is that he defers to Lot. It's not the whole land before you. You pick Lot. You choose. Whatever is the opposite of what you choose, that's what I'll take. I leave it in your hands. I leave it up to you. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why does Abram do this? Why does he defer to Lot? Why does he give Lot the option? Why does he allow Lot to choose? Because Abram is trusting in the unseen. Abram knows that God has promised him that he will be a great nation. Abram knows that God has promised him a land and an inheritance. And Abram is trusting that the Lord will grant that to him in the Lord's time. And he does not have to take it by force. He's trusting in the unseen. He's letting the Lord be the mover and the shaker. He's understanding that this isn't the moment. He's understanding that what is being given to him in grace is not to be grabbed, taken, 
assumed upon. Greedily saying, this is mine. He's understanding the great principle found throughout, throughout all Scripture. Humility comes before honor. Humiliation before exaltation. The reason, don't you understand, the reason why Jesus Christ can come and live in this world as a poor carpenter boy from Nazareth, the reason why he can walk the dirty streets of Jerusalem and have people spit on him and mock him, the reason why Jesus can have a crown of thorns placed upon his head and a robe given to him, people laughing at him and saying, prophesy, who hit you now? The reason why he can carry his own death instrument up a hill, the reason why he can be pinned to the cross and experience a humiliation, a hell. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Because Christ knows, knew, that humiliation comes before exaltation. That one must live their life humbly before God and that God grants glory. Christ knew that the result of his humiliation was that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess. Because Jesus understood that there was an inheritance waiting for him on the other side of the cross. So he didn't need to grab what he could grab in this world. He didn't need to claim what he could claim in this world. So that when Satan came to him and he said, all you have to do is worship me and all of this will be yours. Jesus said, no, the cross comes before the crown. Do we understand that? Do we know that? Do we understand that this life is not ultimate? Do we understand that America is not the new heavens and the new earth. And that if we begin to lose what we thought America was all about, and we start grasping at it, and we start wondering, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? We're losing all these freedoms. We're losing all these things that we thought made America Christian. That this is not the new heavens and the new earth. This is the area, this is the place of humiliation. Exaltation comes later. The glory is not now. It's then. 
so we don't have to fret if America becomes the next China. Because the joy is set before us. That's why Abram can say to Lot, choose what you want. Because Abram knows that even if it doesn't happen in this lifetime, the world belongs to me because of Christ. He's trusting in the unseen. But what about Lot? Lot looks up. And he sees that the whole plain of the Jordan is well watered like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. Is Lot trusting in the promise that is to come? Trusting in the city whose foundation and builder is God? Or is he grabbing what he can in this world? Well, there's a couple things that point us to the fact that Lot in this moment is being contrasted with the faithfulness of Abram. The faith of Abram. The living by faith of Abraham. Lot is living not by faith, but by sight. First thing we read is Lot looked up and saw. Now, hopefully you caught on to how familiar that sounds because in the garden it's the same exact phrase that is used of the woman. She looked up and saw that the fruit was beautiful, desirable to eat. Well, Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. But right off the bat, we are told that looks are not everything, that looks can deceive. Because we read, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. Anytime you read toward the east in the book of Genesis, it's not good. Because that's the direction that they left the Garden of Eden. They went east of Eden. And so Lot goes toward the east. And what that tells us is Lot is not thinking about God. Lot is not thinking about eternal things. Lot is thinking in a way, uh, is thinking in a way away from the Lord. And so the two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, the land of promise. But Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And we're told then at the end, now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And so Lot, he's living according to the flesh. Lot is living by sight. And so what he does is he looks down at all this land before him and he looks at the best part of the land. It's like Egypt. It's beautiful. Like what, the, what Egypt looks like along the Nile River. He looks at, he looks at uh, this place, he says, this is like the garden of the Lord. It's so beautiful. It's lush. It's green. And, in, and Lot, he takes the best for himself. He doesn't say, I'm going to let Abram, my senior, uh, my uncle, take the best. He says, I'm going to take the best for myself. This is the best land. But it only looks good. It's not good. 
Because what Lot gains and the grass of the fields, he loses. He loses and the corruption of his heart. He pitched his tent near Sodom. And what we'll find out is he pitched his tent near Sodom. Then he moved in to Sodom. Then he became a man who lived at the gates of Sodom, an elder in the city of Sodom. And this leads Lot to the horrible events that happen in the near future of his life. The path of living by sight. Not acknowledging spiritual realities. Is that you lose that inheritance that's in Christ for the things that are in the world. You trade what you have here in the temporal for what you could have had eternally. What does a man gain if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? How is that a profit? How is that a gain? It's not. May we not live like Lot according to sight. May we not look at this world and say, wow, isn't that nice? Isn't that wonderful? That's what I must have. That's what I must possess. That's what I must grab onto. But in doing that, we lose our souls. In doing that, we lose sight of that eternal city whose founder is God. We trade what we could have had eternally for what we have in a fleeting moment. We are like grass we are like dust. Here one day, gone tomorrow. And so Lot, with his eyes, thinks this is the better portion. And he holds on to that. And he loses much because of it. Abram looks with his eyes of faith on what God has promised him in the future. And it gives him patience in the now. It gives him humility in the moment to know that this is not our time. Our time is coming. So what does Abram do? He responds in worship. Our final point. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east, and west. You see, Lot looked up and saw, but it's God who comes to Abram and says, look up. Lift up your eyes. And God gives Abram a vision, north, south, east, west, and he says, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And he said, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. And he says, you know what you should do? You should go walk through the land, the length and breadth of it, 
I want you to envision it. I want you to see it, for I'm going to give you that land. God comes to Abram in his expression of faith. And God says, I know that you just let Lot take whatever land, but I want you to know you're the one who has the better inheritance. You have an inheritance in Christ that cannot perish and will not pass away. You have the world through Jesus Christ, your Savior. The one that it is to come, your offspring, the seed. God says, Lot chose this little green patch of the Jordan. But I want you to know, Abram, north, south, east, west, even including that part of the land that Lot just said is his, actually it all belongs to you. And even greater than that, through faith in Jesus Christ, the new heavens and the new earth belong to you. That's what this is really pointing to. And Abram, I know that right now you're saying, my wife Sarah, she's barren, but I promise you that your offspring is going to be like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could even count dust, then your offspring could be counted. How's that going to be, Abram? Because you are going to be the father of the faithful. That it's not just going to be the Israelites who are your offspring, but everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ will be your offspring. And if you could even look now, Abram, you could see that millions and millions of millions of your offspring today, like the dust of the earth. And Abram, just go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. Lay your claim upon it. Do a do a walk around it and say, this is mine. The Lord has given it to me. He's promised it to me, and he will give it to me one day. Yeah, we understand that the world that we live in now is, is, is not renewed. But do we walk in our lives with the understanding that we are the meek that shall inherit the earth? We are those who are going to live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And does that vision, does that understanding, does that knowing give you patience? in the hard times, in the trying times, in the difficult times. That our inheritance in Christ is to be desired above all worldly possessions. Our inheritance in Christ is greater than all that this world could give to us. Abram knew that. He traded what he could get in this world for what was coming in the world to come. Lot did not see that. He chose a portion in this world, and it ends bad for him. And so what does Abram do in response to this renewal of God's promise to him? We see that he moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built another altar to the Lord, responding in worship to God. How is our conviction that in Christ we receive all the benefits of being in the family of God? Sonship. That we are seated at the table of the Almighty. 
How is our understanding that our inheritance in Christ means that God himself prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies? How is our inheritance in Christ help us to position ourselves in this world when it seems like it's all going downhill? Do we fret? Do we worry? Do we grab onto things, trying to preserve them, trying to keep them, even though they are falling away from us? Or do we remember the promises of God, as Abram did, and respond in worship? Thanks be to God that we are the ones who have an inheritance in Christ that cannot perish, that will not pass away, that moth and rust cannot destroy, that we may never see in our lifetime. Abram didn't see it in his lifetime. But we know it's coming. So we can be patient. We can be humble. We can turn from our sin, return to the Lord. We can trust in the unseen. And we can continue to put before us the promises of God and respond in worship, in praise, in adoration. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us an inheritance in Christ that shall not perish that cannot be taken from us, and it is to be desired above all worldly possessions. We thank you, Lord, that even though we sin, we can return to you, and you receive us and renew us. We thank you, Lord, that even though we may lack in this life, even though we may struggle in this life, even though we may face a criticism in this life or even persecution, our trust and what is unseen keeps us firm in our faith, patient in our tribulations, humble in our love of neighbor. And we thank you, Lord, that all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we pray, Lord, that even in the midst of what we may struggle with, what we may experience in this life, if we can cling to those promises and put those promises before us, we pray that our hearts would be lifted, that we would be filled with thankfulness and gratitude, and that we would respond in worship, not only praising you with our lips, but also with our lives. And we ask, Lord, that you would answer all this for the sake of your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.